All right, it's the Sleepers Podcast. I tweeted this out today, a little emergency podcast edition, because as Carter alluded to yesterday on Twitter, we were taking a week off. We normally record on Sundays. This was Valentine's Day. It was for our queens. We, we agreed on that. But then we have some breaking news in the state of Michigan college basketball world. We've got Enoch Boache decommitting from Michigan State. We had to discuss it. We had to call our go-to Spartan uh, Twitter personality analyst, whatever you want to call him. So we've got David Klein, DK from Spartan Hoops here to break it all down for us. DK, how's it going? Appreciate it, fellas. I'm doing okay. I, I was telling you guys before we started, it's kind of been like a psychotherapist day for me, having to talk a bunch of people off the ledge. I'm not sure if Carter's one of those guys. I'm but still on A. Hey, you're going to have to talk to me way, way more because I am I am down bad right now. Okay. Well, do you want me to start or are you going gonna to set me up here? How do you want to do it? I mean, I just – the it was just a lot at once, DK. I mean, we lose by – 50 damn near um rocket watts <laughs> like just disappears he's sick i guess and he's, he's apparently gone. got the flu that's what i'm yeah, hearing apparently like he we're getting our ass beat so bad he caught he came down with a sickness and then like <laughs> just to pile on to it the decommitment this morning and it's just like you know is it really that fun to kick me while i'm down like why me i don't deserve this i'm a good person so it's, you got you got to show me the light a little bit because I'm yeah. So it's been a pretty brutal season, I think, and I just I've been trying to take this in the context of like last year, if we had a March Madness and Michigan State made a run that I think you know the three of us can comfortably say was inevitable. I, I don't really care. You never know what can happen with matchups. Anything can happen. But with the point guard situation, with the center situation, you have the one and five figured out. Everything else was flowing at the end of the year. Um, if they go on back-to-back Final Four runs, this, this season would have been a wash. And, yeah, we would have been bitching, and it would have been tough to swallow, you know, the tournament streak coming and end, all the rest of it. Um, but we would have had the ability to say, like, yeah, they made another deep run back-to-back years. He still got it. You know, I, I've seen the takes from all the way from the one side where he's only good because of Cassius Winston versus, you know, he's completely lost his mojo. Like, I get it, but Cash wasn't Cash until he developed him into that guy. So to say that, you know, he wasn't good until Cassius was good. Well, well, I, I got it. I got to stop there. Cash, Cash definitely developed and got better, but Cash also was an innately gifted offensive specimen. Like the moment he stepped foot on the floor. Right. And a complete defensive liability. And he became somewhat reasonable on that end by, by the end of the year. Like he he was almost, I understand he was like borderline, like a complete liability his first two years on the floor. Like the fact that he's in the NBA right now is because he learned how to play some semblance of defense. I really do believe that. That's fair. I think Xavier, like the roster around him covered that up more than like he became a passable defender though. I don't know. I I still, I look, I look back on Tom Tom. I look back on the Tom Tom Cassius minute split that first year still as like a baffling, baffling thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that what we've seen over the years is, you know, what I discussed in kind of the state of the program, which I'd put out at, uh, you know, maybe a few weeks back was just basically it's the loyalty sometimes to the individual guys who have been through the wars and in the trenches with them. And that's part of the reason why we're having some of these issues this year, right? I mean, it's the loyalty to some of the guys that he's been with. It's the loyalty to Thomas Kithier and Foster Lawyer and some of these guys who've 
you know, been with him now for three years and in the trenches. And he has a hard time separating individual loyalty sometimes from what is best for the overall program and the program loyalty. And I think that that's what we've really seen this year is his loyalty to individual guys um, has come at the expense of what he needs to do in the best um, sake for the program. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of been the issue more than anything this year. I, I wish we had more loyalty to non-Clarkston players. That would be, that would, that would kind of make it for me. And just a comment on what DK said also about, because I mean, we probably follow the same people and, you know, Spartan hoops, Twitter, the whole narrative that like Tom needs to go or like Tom's lost it type thing. That is just kind of just, that's a weak reactionary take. Um, I think you can criticize Tom Izzo for what he's done this year, because I think there has been some shortcomings in recruiting and, you know, with this whole rotation thing, you can criticize him without just completely just throwing him aside was what is kind of what I've been seeing. And there has been some extremes on Twitter talking about people like he's lost it. Like, you know, he doesn't have a great recruiting class coming in next year. So, you know, it's, the only thing that gets me kind of weary is like we have this great recruiting class, but like, are we going to bring in this great recruiting class so that it can sit behind Foster Lawyer and Thomas Kithier? Like that's not what I want to see. I don't need that. I guess positionally, that's not even, we don't have to worry at least about the Thomas Kithier thing. We, I think they have to figure out the center spot before the end of the season. You need to make the strides in that. Maybe I'm in the minority here. I know it's been a really rough go at the center, I honestly think if they just returned all those guys that they have on the roster this year and Bingham finished the year out playing close to 20 minutes per game, I think you can probably get 10 minutes a night out of Sissoko heading into next season. Uh, he, he didn't have any off season. I think that from some of the physical tools that I've seen, just even playing Garza, I cut a little clip and I put it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He has the physical raw tools defensively and he, he's already a much further along like scheme wise and instinctual wise than I thought he was going to be um, on that end of the floor, at least uh, obviously offensively, he's still just, you know, completely raw. But if you can get 10 minutes out of him, 20 minutes out of Bingham and you patch together the other 10 minutes between Marble and Kithier, if, if both of them were to return, like, I think you could head in the right direction there. I think the point guard spots, the biggest concern coming into the year, um, you know, that for sure. So what I, I need to know, what is it about, what am I missing about Foster Lawyer that he gets minutes? Like what, what does he, what does he do? I think that Izzo trusts him to not have as many mistakes. And I, his assist to turnover ratio, I think is the highest on the team. So I guess there's that. Um, again, I just don't think that he trusts Hogard. And, you know, Watts is obviously asked away from the point guard spot. So mm-hmm. He kind of was coming into the season, I think, with the idea of Watts was eventually going to just take that helm and run with it, and we were going to be okay. I, uh, you know, as we discussed, you know, multiple times, I hated the way that he handled the offseason. I thought the way that he played the backup position last year, giving Lawyer those minutes well into the season, knowing full well, you know, it was a coin flip for the Mane situation and Cash was out the door, was extremely short sighted on his, you know, decision-making. And then we came into the season and all we heard about was Foster Lawyer. Well, Rocket Watts is transitioning to a completely new role. And he's a guy that is the most important person. I mean, if he would have been even a 14 point per game scorer for this team, like everything else would have kind of just fallen into line. And I don't think we would have seen what we've seen. 
uh, but there's some head games that were played. Maybe it was some motivation tactics and, you know, he just, his confidence has completely gone out the window. And at this point, you know, as we've discussed, I, I would be really surprised if he returns on the roster. I mean, I think, I think it would just say a lot about him if he stuck with it and just kind of gritted his teeth and got through it. Um, but I also think that if he went to greener pastures and maybe just a more like offensive system that fits him better, that's going to let him be him. Like he could easily be a 16 to 18 point scorer, like somewhere else. And uh, is that some part on Izzo? Yes. A hundred percent. But is it some part again, maybe it was just a bad marriage from the start and his style of play was never going to really fit into it. Like Izzo's really never adapted that much from the system that he runs, you know, to a certain degree when he has really good point guards, he runs pick and rolls, you know, for them pick and roll actions like we saw with cash and the rest of it's really set stuff that he runs and tries to get open looks for his wings. So I don't know. I, I don't know, honestly, what to expect. I think this off season is going to be explosive. Um, I think that there's, there's gotta be some movement, some attrition, some guys coming in and out. And I, I just would be really surprised if we enter into next season and it looks exactly the same, at least for what's on the roster at this point. So I have a, a couple points to make in in light of everything you just said. One, first of all, I, I totally agree with you on the Watts development, and maybe it's a blessing in disguise if there's just a mutual parting of ways. Um, I think you wrote in one of your latest post-Iowa pieces about how the numbers back up that he's a historically inefficient high-usage guard. And I don't care what system you play in. If that's the level of production you're getting, you're not going to be a fit for a team that wants to win games. And I think there are a lot of teams out there that play a faster tempo that may help make him a little more efficient by just giving him the rock and letting him go a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think he's always going to be an extremely volatile high usage piece that doesn't necessarily contribute to winning basketball in the way that Michigan state fans are used to seeing. I think I threw out, uh, I could see him landing at like a Marquette or even like a Providence type team that Missouri, I actually think would be a decent fit too. I think there's a connection there from the coach as well. Yeah. They, uh, I think it's their assistant Cornell man. He has a real, he has ties in the Detroit basketball scene. I think he's actually from here. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands, but I, I don't think that's necessarily going to be a huge thing that hurts Michigan State in the long term. Um, another quick point I just want to make. So Dylan Burkhart from UM Hoops, your, your rival counterpart over there on the Michigan side, um, has been making a point recently about how hard it is to recruit at a specific position like point guard or center when you have almost like the future of that position already on the roster. So when you think about last year to trying to land Monet or when Cassius Winston has been there for three years, like it wasn't a huge priority when cash was there to need a point guard, but then all of a sudden you're thrown into a one-year spot where you've got to get the future guy, but Oh, at the same time, foster lawyers playing 20 minutes a game and he's only a sophomore and you know, Rocket Watts at the time looked like a potential future point guard. So I, I don't necessarily blame Tom Izzo for not figuring that out. And I think he did leave a lot of cards in the Monet basket that just ended up not coming to fruition. Um, however, I think the, the, the larger issue and where Watche comes in is the same flip side of that at the, the, the center spot. 
And really, he hasn't had issues landing centers. He's just landed centers that haven't produced really anything of high-quality play. And when you look at them, none of them are theoretically forced out at the end of this year. I think we all expect some sort of uh, attrition after the season. But I guess looking at the four on the roster and hearing what Boache said, quote-unquote, in his statement of why he's decommitting, it's like, well, you know, my camp and I talked and – we looked at this position as one that's stacked with a lot of guys coming back. Is that something you truly expect to play out or was that kind of just player speak? I think that if he actually watched any of the games, he would probably be very well aware of the fact that he could come in and if he's as good as they think that he is, and if he's actually, you know, a high four star, five star type talent, he's going to come in and he could be the day one starter. So the fact that, you know, there's a bunch of bodies on the roster I, did, I thought that was probably not as plausible as, um, you know, what the commitment was weird from the very get go. I'll just say that, right. Like off the back of some five-star commitments, we kind of were rolling in the summer, very little chatter about Enoch Boache at all. Um, and then all of a sudden he just commits and it kind of took a lot of people by surprise. I think I did an interview with him the week before and he ended up committing the next week. Um, and obviously jubilation. I mean, we were just rolling in the recruiting this summer and to land another guy, a high five-star, you know, a four-star type guy. Great. Great. But was he ever anything more than a soft commit? I have some extreme doubt in that, you know, they didn't really ever recruit Canada a ton. I mean, obviously we got into the cream Mane sweepstakes a little bit. Um, that didn't pan out, but it's not an area that they've, you know, consistently gone and hit over the years. Um, you know, kind of a loose connection, how he even found out about the program and there was any mutual interest anyways. Um, it was kind of quiet for most of his commitment. I, I, my understanding is he never went and visited campus. He didn't know any of the guys. He wasn't really talking to anybody. That's what he said during the interview that he hadn't even spoken to anyone on the team. Um, and I just feel like maybe it was a situation where he used the commitment to create a little bit of clout. Um, and now he's sprung it into a little bit more offers. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Kids have to play their own game. We saw it with Josh Christopher in Michigan. He clearly used Michigan to create a lot of clout and a lot of chatter around his name. Um, and maybe Enoch did that. I, I'm speculating at this point. I don't know anything for that. Um, but it never felt like a 100% firm commitment to me from the very beginning. So to lose a guy that I didn't, you know, I wasn't 100% sure we were going to have in the first place. I'm not that worked up about it. Do I think that it's a bad look for the program, at least perception wise? Yes. And mostly because, you know, I think that there's at least a thinly veiled um, excuse for not coming there by just saying like, listen, you couldn't figure out your center with four spots. What's adding another body, a fifth body going to do to what you have going on there. Um, so I think that the camp probably got in his ear and said, listen, you know, He's not playing the top 40 guy more than, you know, six, seven minutes a night as it is. Like, what is your role going to be coming in there? I think that's a legitimate um, concern that he perhaps had in something that I could understand. But to, to say that, you know, um, there's just no opportunity for him here. I mean, we've watched enough of the center spot to know that's not true. We're just loaded with absolute center prospects <laughs> that you can't, there's no, there's no minutes to go around. They're getting eaten up by Kithier and Bingham. Like you do, there's, there's absolutely no minutes out there for you. I want to touch this briefly before we turn the page two on the Watts situation and the mutual beneficial um, possible play there for both parties. Watts maybe going to some place that's just more aesthetically to his style. 
Uh, I think that in the long run, why it would stink to miss out on having a junior guard, someone that's been in the program, there is something to be said for freeing up 30 plus easy minutes for Max Christie. Um, if you're looking at this roster construction next year, you know, Ant was kind of just talking generally about who is going to be the option number one for this team heading into next year. For me, I think it's very clearly going to have to be Max Christie. I don't see who else is capable of creating their own shots, who has the physical and athletic tools to be able to do it. And I just think, you know, from what I've seen early on from him this season, his comp level isn't great. He's playing in like uh, suburbs of Illinois, but his body is unbelievable. He probably put 20 to 25 pounds on it in this offseason. He looks absolutely like a grown man among boys when he's playing where he's at right now. And I think his combination of handling ability, shot making ability, and the ability to get to the rim and finish well above it is a guy that you can lean on. Like he has some hints of Gary Harris, but I think that maybe he's even a little bit more natural shooter than Gary is. And maybe not quite the defender, at least early on, but all the tools are there. So if Watts does end up going on the lamb, you are just basically saying like, Christy, you're our dude this year. We don't have anybody else. Henry's out the door. And we're going to put these pieces around you. We're going to put Gabe Brown around you and Hauser. We're going to give you a, hopefully a defensive center, maybe in Bingham and Matty Sissoko. Um, we're going to give you a dynamic point guard in Jaden Akins. And we want you to be the man this year. And I really think that he's going to do a ton of the ball handling, some facilitating, and he's going to be the guy that's probably taking the most shots next year. Um, so there, there's some beneficial to a possible mutual, uh, you know, separate ways for those, for the program and Watts. From Mark to Max, the transition needs to be Mark to Max. There you go. Mark to Max. And I can tell you, I mean, Michigan fans love to to poke fun and say, oh, Izzo never plays his freshman. And, like, that's become a reoccurring theme. I'm sure they're greatly enjoying this day. Um, however, I, I don't totally buy into that narrative, even though I may play into it quite a bit sometimes online. Like, Gary Harris is a great example he had the green light of all green lights immediately upon setting foot on campus. A lot of times to me, it's more about roster opportunity than it is him not trusting freshmen across the board. Um, and I think exactly your point on all of a sudden you have to play Max Christie is something that can be super empowering for a kid as skilled as an incoming freshman like Max Christie is. I think I'll be interested to see where Aikens fits into this because while I think the minutes are totally there for Christie, I almost wish that would happen at the point guard spot because man, Aikens is electric and I have a hard time seeing either senior lawyer or sophomore Hogard doing what he's capable of doing next season. There's no chance that Foster is hundred percent there next year. There's no like little slight glimmer of hope that he leaves. He has to be, he has to be. I don't see it. I'm when people are saying, Oh, you know, Kithier and Lloyd, there's no room for him. And they're going out the door. He's playing 20 minutes a game. Like, what do you mean? There's no room for him. I think that it's going to be a real hard look in the mirror this offseason. I think that the staff really has to do a serious period of self-reflection and say, if I want to win another national title, right, the elusive, you know, white whale that I've been chasing all these years, I got to make some hard decisions in this offseason. It doesn't mean processing kids. I've never thought it that way. You know, do I think that there's some natural players where there's just no minutes to be had? Like if Bingham returns, like what is Julius Marble's role for this team? Matty Sissoko um, is coming up hard behind him. Bingham is going to earn those minutes. Thomas Kithier is going to get his till he's gone. 
Like, is he going to wait around another year? And then, you know, Matty Sissoko is the starter and he's the second guy. Like, at what point in time does Julius Marble say, like, maybe I'm more of a power forward than a center? Because that's what I think he is. He's got a little bit of a mid-range jumper and uh, he can't play post-defense. So, like, he's not going to work out in that regard. I think we've seen enough film on that this year. So what is his role? Um, and so uh, I, I just don't know. Like the, the roster attrition just has to at some point naturally happen, I think. And so, you know, Foster is going to play minutes, but they have to realize like the way forward is through the youth. Um, Hogard has really struggled offensively, but otherwise he's ran the team well and he's way ahead of schedule on the defensive end. So, yeah, I definitely want to see more Hogard. But Akins is going to come in, and he's just clearly the best athlete. Um, he's a high-level defender, which I didn't really see when he was at Farmington since he's moved to the prep. Um, he's been asked to give a completely different role. He, he's playing with a, you know, a top – I can't remember what, what – um, oh, my gosh, what's the point guard's name? Kennedy, Kennedy Chandler. Yeah, Kennedy Chandler. So he's a top 15 guy or whatever, right? He came into a team with a top 15 point guard in the country – um, he's been coming off the bench as like a defensive specialist in like an energy guy. Like, I think it says a lot about his character that he's willing to do that. Um, but he's a guy that can play defense. He's a guy that is completely capable of getting out in transition and being explosive, getting down the, down the floor. And he's a shot maker. And, and we haven't had that at the point guard spot this year. And it just, if you have a guy that can hit shots from the point guard spot, the entire floor opens up as we saw with Cassius, as we haven't seen to some degree, you know, with like a Xavier Simpson, like look at the difference between Xavier Simpson and Mike Smith this year. The difference is Mike Smith hits shots and the whole floor opens up for Michigan. So it's just such an important equation. I, I would be surprised if Akins doesn't carve out 20 minutes plus for himself, you know, by at least, you know, February, early February, mid January. I mean, that's gotta be the hope. For sure. And the, the staff really does need to take a deep look at themselves, especially uh, Dane Fife, because he's the one who got us in this Clarkson situation in the first place. <laughs> I, I appreciate the love to the alma mater. You know, I love my high school too, but I don't want to do it at the expense of my damn program. So let's cut that shit out. Okay. I have two more Spartan related questions and then we do, we have to pivot and talk about the number three team in the country while we've got you DK. Yeah, but you. first, um, so I, a comparison to be made in some weird ways to Michigan's off season this year with, I think MSU's upcoming off season where there was a very clear hole at the point guard spot. They had an incoming freshman point guard who was actually coming off the bench, similar to Aikens in high school at, at Montford and Zeb Jackson. And people had very high expectations of him. It turns out he needs a couple years or at least one year before he could potentially play a major rotational role. I think Aikens is physically ahead of that. I, I would expect him to be more ready, but I do think when you look at this roster, I mean, major opportunity for a grad transfer point guard and major opportunity for a grad transfer center or just a transfer point guard and center with, with the way the state of college basketball is. So how likely is it that those two holes are filled? Man, that's a great question. It's so hard to know without knowing where the roster attrition occurs. And I think the roster attrition to some degree is going to be figured out with the way that the rotation is played towards the end of the season. Um, the one guy that I think that Michigan State needs to keep at all costs, in my opinion, is Marcus Bingham. And I wouldn't have said that at the beginning of the year, but I really think we've gotten to the point where he's shown enough flashes. Gotta play him 18 to 20 minutes. I, I just don't get it. 
the Iowa game, uh, I clipped uh, the first four possessions out of the second half, three challenge and alter shots on Garza, all of which ended in bricks. And then he drew an offensive foul. That was his first four possessions out of it. It was uh, 1838, I think, into the second half. He was subbed and didn't see the floor till six, 645 left. Like, wh- what are we doing here? What are you doing? The one guy that's starting to head in the right direction and you don't play him? Like, 6'11 shot blockers don't grow on trees. Um, I'm sure that, you know, the people around him are a little bit concerned about the way this is heading. I'm sure that there will be other teams that will reach out to him and say, listen, you come here, you play for us 20, 25 minutes. You know, you still have maybe some pro potential upside. He, above all the other guys on the roster, I think they really need to be careful about the way they handle him because if they mishandle him towards the end of this year, I think he's a strong possibility on going. And I think um, then you have to absolutely have to get a, a transfer center. If he's still on the roster, I feel comfortable enough, maybe patching it together with another off season, like I said, but if he's gone, um, you, you got to address that position. There's just no way you could come into the season with him off the roster and with those three guys on it, I think. Um, and then in terms of the point guard spot, who um, I think that that's the most important position. And I don't know if a pure point guard is needed so much as a veteran ball handler. Like to me, if you look at the spots, Gabe Brown, whether you want to call him a two or a three, Max Christie, Pierre Brooks, that's kind of your wing guard group that you have. Um, and then you have Aikens, Hogard. You know, Hogard can't really play the two if he can't shoot. And so you're running into a situation, really, he's just a point guard. Aikens could probably slide off and play a little bit off the ball. Um, but again, I think that maybe just adding a veteran to that group and ensuring that you have somebody that can hit some shots, um, occasionally maybe set up the offense and then also play off the ball. So I would like to see, uh, you know, a veteran ball handler added to the roster, particularly if Watts goes. Uh, but does it happen? I mean, what do you think, Carter? I, I would say probably not. Yeah, I I mean, I want it to want it to happen for sure, but I just I just don't see it. I mean, to be honest, I think what's going through Izzo's head, especially at the point guard spot, is he's gonna be like, I'm I got my senior guy and foster. Hopefully Hogard makes some steps at point guard and we have Akins as well. I don't really don't see him going out there and trying to get one. Um, but I think what you said, you made a great point is we don't really need like a score or anything like that. Just someone who's solid over six feet, preferably and not white. Like <laughs> someone's got some dog in them, man. Like we're, it's just like a CJ Walker type for OSU. Yeah, right? He doesn't yeah, have to be the sexy score. Just come right. out, take care of the ball, play decent defense right. you know, on the team for 10 or 15 minutes a night. Right. That'd be perfect. So MSU was after Bryce Aiken this off season, weren't they? We yep, were. Aikens was there, and then I want to say they were after that Carlin Jones guy from uh, Louisville yeah. who's actually had a really nice season too. Yeah, from uh, – where do you call him? Radford, they went to Louisville, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the way I, that the transfer market is, I, I just think so many guys are going to continue to move, so there is availability there. It's just a matter of does space get cleared and does the fit make sense. But I, I'm a little bit with Carter where if you got three point guards on the roster, even though, you know, two of them didn't work out this year and the other one's going to be a freshman, do they really go out and get another guy? They should. I think they absolutely should. But is the mentality like we can figure this out? 
Yeah. And that's kind of what they did this year. So, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of like chips that got to kind of fall into place. Um, so like a move like, you know, a Bingham leaving or a rocket leaving would have put us in a situation where we have to do something and we're kind of, you know, you know, in a, in a situation where we're, you know, you're, you're acting like you have to do it and you're rushing to make it happen. And, you know, you get anybody at that point. So, you know, we put ourselves in this situation, unfortunately, Thomas, thank you. Thomas says, Oh, thank you for that. But uh, you know, we just got to deal with it and it is what it is, but this year has been tough. This like sucks. It's like not fun at all. I can see the hurt in your eyes, dude. I, it, I, it, it, it is. It is. I don't even, I mean, it just hurts. It hurts. It's bad. All right. Let, let me do this then before we turn the page and move to Michigan. What, should the expectations be next year for Michigan State? And what happens that would cause alarm bells to absolutely go ringing in your head and you'd have serious concern about the direction of the program? Man, let me see. Because this team's going to be young. That's the thing. Like, this isn't just going to be one bump in the road year for me. Like, I think that – to, to be honest, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to think that we're just going to bounce back next year and, you know, win a big 10 title or anything like that. Um, I think we'll be a middle of the big 10 type team. Um, Finish in the top half. Yeah. I, that's what, that's what I think. I mean, I'm not coming in with any, I think my expectations coming into this year are going to be kind of the same as next year. I thought we were going to be kind of in that six range, like five, six, maybe. Um, of course it didn't work out like that, but, um, I had him at two, if it makes you feel better. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So Record, I, you had it. Carter, you had him fourth and gave me shit for having Michigan fifth. Yeah. Was, was fourth? Was no, I had Michigan fifth. fifth too. I was way ahead of the curve on that one. I think it was fifth and six is what I had, but anyway, anyway um, yeah, I, it, I don't really think it can get much worse than this, to be honest. I think this is the bottom I mean, yeah. I don't really, we're missing a tournament. We're at the bottom of the Big Ten, you know, with the with the teams like Nebraska and stuff like that. Like we're a really, State, yeah, we're a really bad team. So I don't really think it can get much worse than this. To be honest, there really the only place we can go is up from here. <laughs> like there's no, we can't. I have about a, you? I have a list of very alarming things that could happen. So first all right. of all, first of all, Josh Langford for, could come back for his sixth year. And I'm, I don't I see that, that seems ridiculous, but I, I just, I, I really truly believe Tom Izzo has this crazy pedestal in his mind that only Mateen Cleaves, Draymond Green, and apparently Josh Langford are on. Um, we'll see. That seems a little out there, but like, I wouldn't totally out rule that out at this point. I think, I think you're going to see massive numbers of attrition. I just think you are. And honestly, I think state fans are kind of rooting for that and should be rooting for that. But the problem with that much attrition is it's not like they're really out recruiting the 2021 class like crazy still. So it's going to have to be filled with transfers to me. And this is an unprecedented time in college hoops. I think if they can land a transfer, like you guys said, at the guard spot, whether it's off guard that can just shoot and be solid, but more importantly, land like an established transfer that can play 20 minutes at the five that I think you guys are in business because I like the freshman guards you have coming in. My only question is they're freshman guards. I mean, it makes sense to say Max Christie's going to be an elite scorer on paper, but at the end of the day, until a freshman guard gets on campus and does it, you never really know what you're going to get from that spot. 
So I think like the biggest concern to me is when you look at the roster for next year, as of today, it's the same front court. Like that's got to change because this front court's just a major problem and it certainly can. But if you guys hit, you know, middle of the summer where there hasn't been announcements on some guys coming in, that's when I would start to panic. Your two houses is going to be a movie. Wait on your two houses going to be a movie. I actually, the more film that I've watched on him recently, I think that he is an extremely versatile offensive weapon that has been left out to dry on the defensive end by putting him next to Kithier for most of his you know stretch. And the fact that he doesn't have a true point guard on the roster right now has been killing him because he, he's way better in a pick and pop situation, getting shots set up from beyond the arc. Inside the arc, I did that in that write-up, and I, I don't know if you got that far because it was quite a long one, but um, inside the arc, he's been extremely efficient, and he's creating his own shot. Almost 50% of his shots inside the arc are created by himself, either in the mid-range or at the rim. Um, he's shooting, I think, 65% at the rim and somewhere around like 55% on the other twos. Like he, He's still a pretty good scorer. The issue is his three ball is dropped way off it. And I think he's shooting like 26% from conference play. The stroke still looks good to me. I don't, I don't think it's broken. I think he's pressing. And I think he's just, he knows that he has to score for this team when really he should be like a third option. You know what I mean? So I think that there's a bounce back possibly in him. But then again, we lead it back to the same question. Who's the number one? Who's the leadership in this, you know, on this team coming into next year? I think that's the biggest question. Who's going to be the primary scoring option and, who is going to lead from this team. And I honestly think it's going to have to be led in some regard by some of the freshmen. Do you think any more players asked to be benched this year? (laughs) (laughs) That was a bold move that paid off for him. I appreciated it for sure. Speaking of a guy who maybe can take a leadership role, Malik Hall is definitely one of that. He's got to figure out his jump shot this off season. He's got to spend all off season putting up 500 jumpers, just like Hogard in the gym every day, taking jump shots. Because what he brings defensively and what he does, you know, the little things, the rebounding, the physicality, like it's all there. If that guy could just hit that mid-ranger and hit like 33% from three and take a couple a game, completely different player. Yep. And I and and I think I talked about this uh, last time me and G were talking about it. I thought that jump was going to come a little bit more this year with his jumper. I was, I was fairly surprised and disappointed it didn't come along a little farther just because I – have heard he, you know, he is a hard worker and a really good, you know, good kid and all those type of things. So I thought that it would kind of come along because, you know, the tools are there. He's tough as hell. You know, he finishes, he rebounds, he defends, you know, if he's able to, if we're able to throw him in the middle of a two, three zone though, and he can knock down an elbow jump shot mm-hmm. or even keep the defense off balance by them having to respect that. Cause you know, he's got some moves going to the hoop and he can finish. So he basically, like you said, needs to spend all summer in the gym just shooting jump shots. Just get on the gun. Just do it. Yeah. I think to a certain degree he hasn't been exactly confident lately with the jumper, and instead he's just been going balls at you know balls to the wall at the rim. And I don't, you know, not appreciate that because he's so physically finishes through contact, all the rest of it. But I can live with him missing a couple shots. He almost reminds me of like Xavier Tillman last year where he's like he took some threes, and then when the three ball stopped falling, he just stopped taking them. I just think Malik Hall is such an efficient player. Like he's a heady player where he knows that's probably not a good shot for him to take if it's not falling. And so he stopped taking it. 
And this is the one season where you're just like, take the shots, man. Like, figure it out for next season. Hey, fuck it. Let it, fuck it, let it fly. Because he definitely All doesn't right. look – he does not look confident on his threes when he takes them. It just feels like he's just like, I don't like forcing it, like pushing it at the rim. It just doesn't look good. And that's he like kinda, jumps forward on the shot instead of yeah. getting up into it. He's almost like leaping forward yeah, it's on just, it. It's got to be a minor tweak on the jump shot for sure. Today's episode of the Sleepers Podcast is presented by the Locker Room app. Carter, you're a Locker Room app user. I am a happy Locker Room app user at that. Have you ever been listening to, you know, our podcast and you want to say, you know what, Carter, that was stupid. Yeah, I need to call you out on that. Or have you been listening to Greg and you say, you know what, Greg, that's really stupid. I want to call that out. Well, the Locker Room app is for you. It's a free app available in the App Store right now. It's connecting people and sports fans and fans of anything in general. Uh, There's rooms on there that you can join with NBA personalities, people across sports. It's a great app to connect with those people and also just connect with, you know, people in general who are fans of what you're watching or what you're into at the time. And that's not limited to sports. I have to shout out my newfound kind of passion, love for The Bachelor. And The Bachelor Room is one of my favorites on The Locker Room. I'll be sure to be tuned into all those rooms coming up, and you don't want to miss it. We got the Matt James T. We got it all. Are you pro Matt James or anti Matt James? I'm hashtag wait and see on Matt James. I'm gonna give it like three episodes before I make my judgment. It's I'm always. Really, wait I, I am mad that no one asked what Matt James forty time is during that episode. That was a letdown. That's true. So if you want more of the sleepers, you can find the sleepers on the locker room app every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern. We will be doing a 60 minute room talking mostly basketball, but oftentimes other things like Carter's Matt James takes. You can get the locker room app on the app store, as Carter mentioned, for free. We would love to see you there. Join the conversation. Now let's go back to the sleepers with DK. Well, let's get to Greg's team because he wants to talk about him. He's been pretty patient. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about him. Okay, let me let me set the table here because I have a bone to pick with all the quote unquote analysts that are out there that actually work at networks that I Adam. Follow. Name name I'm, names. I'm not naming names because name we, names. Uh, we might cross their paths on the locker room app. So I'm not gonna name names, but I have a bone to pick because this narrative came. While Michigan was put on pause for never testing positive themselves, that, oh, my God, Gonzaga and Baylor are so good and the rest of the country is just never going to get there, like, which to an extent is true. Gonzaga and Baylor are here. They're, they're a different level than even Michigan and than any of the other teams are. But the narrative when Michigan was still playing was like, man, Michigan's really separated themselves and is up here. And then all of a sudden they're forced to quit playing and they get lumped back into like the Villanovas and the groups of teams that could be contenders in the tournament for a one seed, but also could like bottom out and they don't have that much capability to truly be great. Well, truthfully, you guys, Michigan has proven when healthy this year, and I wasn't sure if they were ever going to get back to that point, but to me, they've proven that they are clearly another level above everybody else other than Baylor and Gonzaga. They're still behind Baylor and Gonzaga, but their ceiling to me and their floor, quite frankly, is higher than any other team. And I truly didn't expect them to come close to getting back to it. I thought they would be rusty. I thought I was going to be bitter about it all season. The first half of that Wisconsin game certainly looked that way. Um, I don't want to tout a, a crazy win against Wisconsin because I, Carter knows what I think of Wisconsin. I don't think they're that good. I think they're, 
They're just a talentless-ish kind of okay basketball team with tons of experience. So people think they're incredible. Um, they're not. Like, that's a great win, especially under the circumstances of down 12 at half, off a layoff. You at, the coal, at the coal center. You showed your toughness. You went through a bullshit flagrant foul, and then you ran them out of the gym. And I hope that reminded people that this Michigan team is to be taken seriously because the narrative that there's no third team is not true. Michigan is that third team. I mean, wow, that was beautiful. You really just waxed your poetic Michigan. That was beautiful. No, I, I've been waiting three weeks for this, man. I, I know. And I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you off that because that is a big win. Literally after not playing for three weeks to go into the Cole center be down 12 at half and to come back and win that game. Like that is a crazy good, you know, you know, win. And, you know, of course, G, you know, I, I struggle giving them boys credit. I do. I do. But I've been trying to be objective this year. That Michigan team is really fucking good. Like Franz is really good. Isaiah livers should be getting more NBA buzz in my eyes. I think that, I think he's a pro. Um, first round pick in my eyes to be honest I think he's a really good player and you know that team they they're really fucking good and they got the they got the talent starting to come along Franz is starting to play well which I think is really good on both ends of the floor which is a development I didn't see happening Mike Smith Shawnee Brown just plays his ass off and just wants to win and then you got a big ass mammoth of a man in Hunter Dickinson who catches everything finishes everything and rebounds everything so you know, it's looking real good for your boys. Juwan Howard's, you know, got the swag going. Everyone's, you know, loving his post-game videos and, you know, the fresh haircuts and the fresh Jordans and all that shit. People are eating that up. But, you know, it's a great time to be an amazing Blue fan for you. So I'm happy for, for you. How angry did my take make you, DK? Am I off? Oh, no, no. It didn't make me angry at all. I told you, I mean, how many weeks ago? It was like a month ago when they were playing extremely hot. And uh, I got him 14 to one on a hundred bucks. So, you know, get to the lead eight and then I'll hedge against you and hope you lose like hell. I mean, let's, yeah. let's be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I, I think that what you saw was a really gutsy win against Wisconsin. I'm with you. I had them preseason number one, just coming in because I just didn't know what to make of Illinois and I didn't trust Iowa. I didn't really trust Michigan state. So I think preseason, it was fair to have them kind of at the top of the conference, and then kind of as we got going in the season, you just looked at some of the athletic limitations that the team had as a whole, the complete lack of shot creation really outside of Trice and the roster. Um, and then basically after the Michigan game and you guys just hammered them, they stopped playing the one advantage that they had, which was having a tandem of Reavers and Potter playing together, a pick and pop, a pick and post kind of big that they should have loaded up on the floor and just played on one side. Um, Reavers the other night, just some of the moves that he made near the basket, the complete lack of athleticism that was on full display. I just always thought Michigan was an absolute horrible matchup for Wisconsin, to be honest with you. They're athletic. They're more athletic at every single position. Um, I actually took Michigan to win that game. I put a little money on them. They were favored. So boy. I said, what the heck? 50 bucks if I burn it and they lose, it's worth it. If they win, then at least, you know, I get something out of it. Yeah. Um, but Wisconsin's now what? They're three and four their last seven, including a loss to Penn State, who just got um, beat by Nebraska. The one loss that you probably can't take on the season. Uh, all that nice discussion about them having the toughest schedule in all of Kempom area. That kind of fizzled out pretty quickly after Michigan State beat them, and uh, they just lost to Nebraska. So, 
Um, I think that the real test for Michigan and for me to be able to firmly say they are well above everybody else in kind of that second tier is going to be OSU and Illinois. And I think OSU actually probably matches up a little bit better given the wings that they have uh, with swing and with arms and just some of the, you know, kind of like six, seven, six, eight guys. There's just not a ton of wings um, on a bunch of teams this year. You know what I mean? Like Wisconsin doesn't really have any wings. Like Michigan State has Aaron Henry and Gabe Brown, but we can't get them on the floor together. So I don't, I don't know what to make of that. Um, and I think Michigan just has a really nice complement between Brown and Livers and uh, Franz. And they just, I mean, they're, they're all the pieces fit together and they're a really good team. So, you know, happy for you that they're playing well. I really want to see them against OSU. I want that rematch. Has the Illinois game been rescheduled? Hasn't been yet. And to be clear, Michigan was ducking Illinois. And I am not happy about that. Like, if they, they would have gotten smoked, they would have come out in that first half and played like they did against Wisconsin against Illinois. That game was 20 points, and it would have been, I think it would have been over quickly. I know you're playing at home, so maybe a little different change of scenery there, but. Illinois has been peaking at just the right moment right now. I think that that would have been a really tough game to come back to like, Hey, Hunter Dickinson, you've been off three weeks. Here's Kofi Coburn in your face, just like dunking all over you, you know, like, yeah, that that Illinois, sorry, G don't mean to cut you off, but that Illinois Michigan matchup, I think would be interesting because like Michigan has these big ass wings basically. And Illinois doesn't really have big wings. They got like undersized kind of guards that they throw on the wings um, and it works for them when, you know, surround, you know, when you have Kofi in the middle and then Iowa at the, at the point guard spot. But it, I think that'd be like an interesting matchup. I don't really know who I would kind of lean one way or the other on. Uh, but I mean, the Ohio State versus Michigan matchup would be absolutely elite. I mean, you got the wings of Ohio State. You got Seth Towns off the bench, who's finally starting to play well after all those knee surgeries at Harvard. Um, and, you know, Ohio State's really clicking, but uh like G said, we do not advocate the ducking of smoke. That is not okay. <laughs> that will come back. That no. will come back to bite you when you duck smoke. That's not a good thing. And Illinois, that's how you. That's how they end up in your bracket, and you got to see them sometime in the tournament. Exactly. Illinois fans are out here trying to make a Michigan Illinois rivalry thing come true, and it's not going to happen. Look, I they're going to reschedule the game. They, there's no way that they will let a Big Ten champion be crowned without the two best teams playing each other. Those are clearly the best two teams. No shots at Ohio State. Um, I, I think you guys are right. I, as a Michigan fan, am way more terrified of the Ohio State matchup than I am Illinois. I think Illinois has the highest ceiling of any Big Ten team, Michigan included, in March to me. I'll probably end up picking them one to two rounds too much in my bracket. Come They're up. at 20 to one last time I saw them. I don't know if you've grabbed them yet, but I definitely wow. grabbed them a piece of that. No, 20 I got- to one? I mean, come on. That's pretty good. With the best guard in the country to me. I mean, that's that that's what wins in March. But, yeah, like – Does he deserve that- the Big Ten player of the year over Garza if, if Iowa continues to slide? No, is my take. Well- why not? What's the point? What's the point differential right now? Can you pull that up? Uh, yeah, I'll pull it up while we're here. I, I just think like while IO in any given year should be warranted national player of the year consideration, Luca Garza is just a historical monster. He just is. And I get like, okay, he won last year and I was kind of losing some games, but like it's him and Trey young from what they've done from an offensive perspective and nobody within the same stratosphere. And I get to eight points, baby. Can't get down on Michigan State for that. Three no. for 11, 
in the field, holding them tough. We just hey. let Nunji, we let Nunji go off for whatever. Fucking Jack. 18 and 11. Is Fucking that enough to Jack. tide you over for an offseason, DK? I mean, that that might <laughs> – instead of running the banner behind the bench of 22 straight NCAA appearances, maybe it can be held Luca Garza to eight points. Season low. Season low, eight points. Oh, man. Jack Nunji. God, that game sucked. Luca's at 24 and a half points a game and eight rebounds, 56% from the floor. And I'm looking up Iowa right now. Also, have Iowa and Illinois – oh, they played once this year, right? And Illinois won without Frederick? Yes. Yeah. Like, is Frederick ever going to come back? And uh, in the words of Gus Johnson, Wheezy has <laughs> just been popping off lately with Frederick on the bench. He's, he, he evolved into the guy that um, I think a lot of us thought maybe he could be, and I didn't expect him to probably be able to put up the point production with Frederick on the roster, but with him – taking a little bit of a backseat. There's been a lot more featuring of Wee's camp and like his, his points, the last like six or seven games, he's dropping like all over his high teens and in the twenties every night. Like that's a guy that maybe you should start featuring a little bit more. I know you got Garza, but like wings win in March, get that guy going. I'm so curious to see what Iowa looks like next year. Like no offense to Luca Garza. I truly enjoy watching him, but if you bring everybody back except for Garza and Bohannon and Keegan Murray's your starting big with Nung, Nungi or however you pronounce it, and then all the wings are back, I mean, that to me is still likely a top 10 team that's much better defensively. I don't think Wieskam comes back. I guess he had no. some serious consideration uh, looking at the draft last year, which I wasn't aware of. Some people informed me on Twitter, and um, I think that given the way that he's playing, it's – what more can he come back and prove at this point, right? That's true. I was unaware of that as well. I also have to say this because there's a lot of good Michigan stuff going around. Um, so it's time to kind of bring you back. Okay. I'm still staying staying strong on my take that you're not going to make a run with Mike Smith at point guard. I'm sorry. That's a dumb, that's a dumb take. It's a dumb take. That's not that's not a point guard. I'm, when you talk when you talk about teams that make runs in March, you got to get behind a point guard. Mike Smith's not that point guard. Yeah, but you you no offense, I'm gonna sound like a dick here. I don't think you know enough about Mike Smith's true like performance this year. Like he he is elite as a ball screen passer. He's not necessarily gonna go get himself a bucket, but like he is far and away the best ball screen passer in the conference right now. I mean, he's been a lot better than I would have expected. Like I thought he was gonna kind of just be like a, you know, the player he was at Columbia. I mean, not the exact same player, like a just an absolute inefficient chucker. But I thought like that that would like peak its head every once in a while, and maybe that's credit to Jawan, or maybe that's just credit to Mike Smith as a player. He's kind of just transformed his game and kind of played to what Michigan needs, you know, as a team. But like I said, I'm not just going to keep saying these nice things and I got to find something to nitpick at. And that's going to be Mike Smith. All I'm going right, to flip so. that take on you because I, I actually think Mike Smith is a luxury because how he's bought into his role without forcing, but he's still capable. Like he was a high volume guy. He can go create himself a shot and I'm going to make a bold prediction that can come back to haunt me. I think Mike Smith has a clutch shot in March somewhere along the way. I don't know what that looks like, but that, I, like like takes a like takes a clutch shot or like hits a clutch, a clutch shot. shot. I think he ends up like the ball's in his hands in a ball screen at some point in the tournament in a tie game or down a possession and something. Ooh, man, I can't wait. To I will tell you, I can I can tell you how when he misses. 
if Michigan flames out, I can tell you how it's going to happen. And you guys should be well familiar with this storyline. Hunter Dickinson's going to play 17 minutes and Austin Davis is going to play 22 <laughs> and all of a sudden they've lost a game. I mean, that's seriously my only concern with this team at this point. He does love himself some Austin Davis. I don't get it. I mean, God bless big custard, whatever. He's honestly, there's an argument. He might be Michigan state's best big right now. I was literally going to say that. I didn't want to say it hurt Carter's feelings. I'm thinking like if he was on the roster, would he be playing 25 minutes a night for us? Like, I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if his linguini shoulder would hold up anyway. That shit <laughs> his linguini shit is about to fall off the bone any second now, but I'd still, I'd, Oh God, that is quite the. Did did you ever run those IO numbers? What do you got for IO? I want to hear. You said twenty four and fifty six percent for Luca. What's the IO? Yeah, IO is twenty creep twenty one six and five right now. That's what I'm saying. Who would you take right now? You're in a schoolyard pick, and you're starting a team, a Big Ten team. Who are you taking? Oh, that's that's a different question. The Player of the Year, though. I didn't say Player of the Year. It's a Big Ten Player of the Year. Oh, see, this could be a thing where one wins Natty and then one wins conference. That'd be crazy, but it's happened before. If I'm if I'm starting a team on the playground or in a gym, I'm taking IO. Thank you. I'm I taking too. IO too. Unless we're playing at unless we're playing at, you know, I don't know, man. Garza gets calls, man. Like that's it. He gets so many calls. Dude, that's it. Anytime you get near Garza, like you're getting called for a foul. It's unbelievable. If we're playing at the barn, I'm taking Marcus Carr. No questions. Oh, oh, we're playing at the barn. I'm taking any Minnesota player. That is actually the craziest because it started off as a joke, but they really cannot win on the road and are the best team in the country at home. It's actually nuts. Yeah. I'm it's too bad the tournament's not played at the barn because I don't know if they're going to win a game. Facts. Are you guys still letting it sink in that you could win the Big Ten tournament with no other teams oh. there? No. I First off, I think it's going to I think it's going to be played now that they're moving it to Indy. I think they're gonna really just squeeze the teams and make them play. I think, to be honest with you, but I don't see it, my friend. It's it's Not a it's, sure. it's throw a game ahead. I don't. I don't. Do you think we win either of the these next two games? No. Who do you got? Purdue uh, in uh, Purdue tomorrow and Indiana Saturday. We lose both those. I might have a chance to go watch Pierre Brooks on Saturday and it would be at the same time that the Michigan state Indiana game is. And I'm seriously contemplating just going to see the future. <laughs> might as well. Who are they playing? Uh, they're playing Ferndale who has a couple guys this year. Jason yeah, got, Drake uh, from Orchard. They got Trey Lewis still? Yeah. Trey Lewis is a senior and uh, a junior point guard. Jason Drake transferred from Orchard Lake St. Mary's. He transferred to Ferndale? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I must have wanted to play together in the backcourt. I don't know. But they got two good guys, and uh, Brooks has been on fire to start the season. I don't know if you've been catching any of it, but he's dropped I, I, 40, been, 32, been watching, been 29. What? I said I've been watching your clips. Yeah. He's, he's got so much dog in him. If, if you ask me, you know, who could possibly be a leader coming up on this team, he would not surprise me. You know, maybe not freshman year, but by, like, sophomore year, maybe getting the C on his jersey. I really think he's that type of kid. And also, G, just just so you know, this year doesn't count. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't. Whatever you there's, need to do, man. There's so much going on around the country, man. We're so in a, we're in a to, pandemic. <laughs> we kind of talked about Michigan State's future and what it looks like. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think of what Michigan's future is going to look like. Obviously, 
a possibility for some of those guards to come back. I would absolutely love to see Mike Smith in a role where he is the high volume guy next year. Like, could you see him getting tapped to coming back? Like to Brooks to me seems like a really smart guy, like a guy that maybe wants to go start his professional career. And not that I'm you know saying otherwise against Mike Smith, but like Mike Smith is playing at the pinnacle of his basketball peak, you know, buried in Columbia where nobody can see you and now being on a, you know, top five national team. He really seems to me like he's been enjoying the journey. And I think that that's a chance to run it back. And I'm curious what you guys think just generally. Um, obviously, he's going to have to, again, probably attack some of the transfer market to be able to round out this team. But where do you where do you kind of see that coming together? And do you think anybody, any of the seniors actually come back? I think you nailed it. Michigan's going to be as freshman heavy or attrition heavy as Michigan State will be just with livers gone. Wagner's got to be gone. I fought it for months early in the season, but he's, he's clearly a fringe lottery lock first round guy at this point. I think if you're Jawan, your first call has to be Hunter Dickinson as soon as the season ends. And I, it, I don't know what Jawan's approach is going to be with trying to keep guys in school. I know you guys have heard me go on and on about, I think Izzo is selfish in trying to keep guys (laughs) pro opportunities. Uh, But spoiler alert and a little secret here i'm enjoying that i might get to see that side of it for once because i Jawan strikes me as a guy who wants a second year of hunter dickinson and wants that very vocally um i do think dickinson will have an opportunity to get drafted this year if he wants to i don't know how high but i would be surprised if he's not back in ann arbor next year I think once you've secured word that that's how that's coming, your second call is to Mike Smith because a sell to Mike Smith would easily be, we're going to have one of the best, most talented front courts in the country. If not the best with Houston, Caleb Houston, Musa Diabate and Hunter Dickinson. And there's no one, I mean, there's no guard on that roster that has played any minutes in college, not even, like a a starter role, no minutes. I mean, Eli Brooks is going to be gone. They've got Kobe Bufkin, Frankie Collins coming in. Um, I think people still believe Zeb Jackson can play major minutes next year, but he's on the ball guy or off the ball. I think he could play both. I think if he's going to pan out, he would be an on the ball guy. But my personal take is he's not really ever going to see that role at Michigan. I think Frankie Collins will be a, a player that's a problem. I like Frankie. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big Frankie fan. Every time I've watched him, he just plays super hard, really athletic near the rim. Got to figure out the jumper, uh, obviously, to, to put it all together. But a guy that downhill and in transition is just going to be a monster. He reminds me a lot of Darius Morris. He's a lot smaller than Demo, but his vision is high level right away. He's a dog defensively. I mean, he he's going to be hard to keep off the floor next year, regardless of who else is there. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, the sell to Mike Smith is easy. Like, thank you for, for the role you played this year. You were a huge part in our success. Now come be a really high usage scorer on a top 10 team and make your pitch to teams in the league, even though he's never going to be an NBA player. I'm curious to see what that role would look like transition in because he fit perfectly this year and what they had around him. And now you're just going to put a bunch of freshmen around him and let him do his thing. I think that you would see his efficiency go way down 
And uh, I think that honestly, he would have to play a little bit more of a controlled role. I know he'll have to take more shots just as the nature of it. Um, but I think that the way that the backcourt is setting up for Michigan really gives me a little bit of concern if you're going to be discussing them as a top 10 team throughout the whole season. Could they develop into that by the end of the year? Yeah, but like straight out of the gates, they're going to be ranked extremely high, particularly with the way that this season has gone. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if they stuttered a little bit out of the gates just because like young, talented, athletic, there's no doubt about it. Um, but you win with guards and you win with guard play in, in college basketball. And I think that, you know, they're going to have to figure out some of those pieces as they go. Yeah. Kobe Bufkin's readiness is a huge question mark. I mean, he, he's a very high level prospect. There's buzz from, I think it was the, the rivals folks earlier this week that he may be sneaking up into five-star territory by the time the final rankings are out. Um, I, I would have him as a high four-star guy. I think, he could potentially be a, a non four-year player, like a guy that goes two or three years to the league. Um, if he's a, a ready sort of like a Max Christie, now he's a lower caliber recruit than Max Christie. And I think Christie's a better player today, but if he's a guy that can play a similar role to what you project Max Christie is, then I think you feel great about Michigan's chances next season. If not, then, like you said, there's a ton of question marks because if Dickinson is back, I think there is a version of this team where he becomes the highest usage player on the team by far. Has to be. We know he can pass. I think there's another level to his scoring that we haven't seen. He's still taking at least one three a game right now and isn't hitting them. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes like consensus first team All-American level next year. But even if that happens, you got to surround him with shooting. And from what we've seen from Zeb Jackson and Frankie Collins in high school, they're not shooters. Kobe Bufkin should be a shooter, but there's so many question marks and everybody else that's going to play a big rotation role is a true freshman. So it's, it'll be an exciting time. I think Michigan fans should enjoy this year because while next year will be exciting as all get out, there's no guarantee that you're going to be this caliber of a team again. Um, And it'll, it'll truly be the first year. I feel like Jawan, is tested for who he really is, right? Because while he's built the best possible roster he could this year, he had some really great pieces that have been hanging around from Beeline's previous teams. And he's done nothing to make me worry, but next year it's going to feel like a whole different style of play and a whole different team. A lot of pressure too. A lot of pressure. I think that what he's gotten in the leadership that he has now, he hasn't had to, you know, coach quite as hard during the course of the season. I'm not saying that he hasn't done a good job. He clearly has putting together the roster. I mean, he did it magnificently getting the kids to buy in. Like he seems like, you know, like Carter was saying that everyone's having fun and he is the direct result of that. He's coming from the top down on that, but you have livers, you have Brooks, you have Wagner, who's an older guy, like Dickinson's 20, you know, he's basically a junior. So uh, they have an older team. They have a mature team. And it's kind of, you know, as Izzo has always said, the best teams he's ever had are player-led teams, and it seems like it's coming from that for Michigan. Well, what does it look like next year for him when basically, you know, every single decision is going to be to some degree scrutinized? When you have that much talent coming in, how do you handle the talent? Who plays over who? Um, And just generally, how does the whole thing work? How does the system work when you're starting basically from the ground up? Because that's really what he's going to do. You have Hunter, which is such a great foundational piece to have in the middle. Um, but then you got a lot of talent around him and you got to, 
you got to kind of piece together the guard play. Yeah. And I think forgotten name that I don't know where he fits in positionally, but I think Terrence Williams is a guy who is going to quickly take on a larger role. He was playing spot minutes in the non-conference. He's basically been phased out of the rotation since they, they really made this great run in conference play. But I think right now he plays the four. He's even played a little small ball five as like a six, seven guy. Um, I think long-term with the way the roster projects, he's going to need to slide down into like a three or even a two spot, but he has, I think Houston can maybe play a little three for you. Cause I, I think yeah. that he's more naturally a set shooter on the wing um, where I think Williams, you can kind of run to that corner and get him, you know, at the rim a couple times, Like Houston isn't particularly athletic going to the rim. And he's not really a huge shot creation guy. He has some of that in his game and he's extremely fundamental. I think he can build on some of that, Um, but he's not going to wow you when he's doing it. You know what I mean? Um, And I think at least for freshman year, he's going to be a guy that looks, you know, he's a pure shooter. He's got that clay Thompson jump shot where every time he lets it go, you just like that's in. Um, And I think that you want to get him shots probably on the wing. So maybe he slides to the three and then you, you can play Terrence Williams with him. Um, but like you said, Williams is going to have to find a way to be able to carve out some minutes for himself. And you're just not quite sure where those are going to be. If Houston ends up being the four, do you, are they going to play two big lineups? Because I think, I think Juwan showed at least the first year that he kind of likes playing two bigs sometimes. Yeah. So it'll be interesting as Diabate and Dickinson playing together. And then you got to slide everybody up. So, yeah, I think there's, there's Diabate and Davis will play next year. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's coming back if Langford's coming back the, the agreement between the teams are if Langford's coming back then Austin Davis has to come uh-huh. back look what I don't doubt is that Jawan Howard loves Austin Davis the same way that Tom Izzo loves Josh Langford so neither one of those would shock me yeah that's we'll probably true but I will say Caleb Houston reminds me so much of the role Isaiah Livers has played in previous years like I think there's a pretty one-to-one comparison. Like I'm sure they've shown him film of what you would look like in Michigan's offense. It's like, this is you. And you're a little more of a guard version of it. Like I think Caleb Houston can potentially long-term do a little more off the dribble than what livers has, but like, he's a guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands. That is just a knockdown dead eye shooter that can play the three and four. It's going to be a luxury to have him. And he fits really well next to Dickinson. Like you guys said, um, Diabate will be interesting. I think like, he probably will be most effective as a small ball five or just a true five, but he's not going to get that chance if Hunter Dickinson is back. So, or, 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 or if Chet Holmgren commits like you say he is. That's who? Not. I earlier this season I uh, received a little intel that there was a serious play for Chet Holmgren to Michigan. So I did put that bug in Carter's ear at one point, but that is no longer the case, Carter. <laughs> Thank God he's going to Gonzaga. That's what I told my buddy. I got a Michigan buddy that I text just about college hoops in general. And uh, all the crystal balls are heading Gonzaga's way. And I just said, thank God. I mean, I don't know where he quite would have fit. Obviously, you just work him in because he's such a talented person. I mean, somebody probably is a little bit pissed about that situation if he comes. Uh, but, oh, my God. I just We would never would have heard the end of it. Yeah, the pitch would have been, hey, come play point guard in Ann Arbor next time. <laughs> like fucking Holmgren, Dickinson, Diabate, Houston, just all just just everyone, just going everyone out there is over six eight. Fuck it. Yeah, six seven, six eight, and up. That's it. 
Hey, I know one school in the state that has a hole at the two guard. Maybe we should call uh, Mr. Mark Watts this offseason. See what happens. Can I propose a go. trade? Who, who do you want for Mark Watts from Ann Arbor? Mike this, are you saying Mike, this season or the next season? Well, I, I would never trade Mike Smith for Rocket Watts, but you, would you take that for next season? Oh, my God. I'm trying to think. It, it, the fact that you guys aren't immediately saying yes to this is crazy. Well, I mean, yes, I want to trade. I just want to make sure I get who I want in return. We, we got some holes to fill, all right? We can't just make That's what he's saying. He said Mike Smith for Rocket Watts. Oh, I'd do that. Yeah, no-brainer you do that. Yeah, it just would hurt me to say it out loud, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I, I just needed to hear it. I'm putting you guys in the torture <laughs> chamber. Just wait. I mean, look, one of these years, hopefully knock on wood, not for a while, but one of these years you guys are going to be able to spin this on me, and I'll be making the sad face as Carter has been. I don't look forward to that day, but I appreciate you guys for being troopers. Ah, it's all right. It happens. I don't know. It's just been like a continuation of 2020 anyway. The, the tournament got canceled, and it's just been the same day every single day now, basically it's, throughout it's this just, season. It's a very so. uncommon year, and that's why, you know, it's just a throwaway, and there's an asterisk. It's just this year's just funky, and, you know, that – and funky things happen, like Michigan being good at basketball, so. Yeah, yeah. All right, DK, I know you got a bunch of good stuff in the works with Spartan Hoops. You just uh, – let like the article we alluded to, post-Iowa, a little larger, long-form breakdown of, of what – to expect going forward for the Spartans in the state of the program. What else do you guys got coming up? What should Spartan fans be on the lookout for? We're going to do film review, obviously, after every game. I was going to put out a Purdue rematch, um, but I just honestly, I didn't get the time to be able to get it. The day job has been crushing me a little bit, but um, Indiana preview will definitely be out. And uh, I'm just going to do my best to try to find all the little silver linings. That's what I'm doing now. I'm the psychotherapist for the fan base. I try to find little silver linings on the rewatch after just bludgeoning myself watching the game the first time through. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's what I got to do. You just got to find a couple things that are good and move forward. I mean, basically what I said when I sent out this article today, it's more in the season, turn the page, look ahead. That's what's got to be done. We keep on keeping on. And um, yeah, so we've also, we should say while you're here, we've been doing some Big Ten Hoops roundups on the Locker Room app. I think hopefully the three of us and our friend Ant Wright will try to do a few more of those here before the season wraps. So stay tuned if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the Locker Room app. I'm sure you've heard Carter and I talk about it, but download the app. It's great. It's a great place for all sports fans to get together and talk. And right now we're getting a lot of fun out of this for uh, the stretch run of big time basketball. So last thing I do want to quickly plug before we wrap Carter and I have some upcoming promos. So keep an eye out. I know Spartan fans are well aware uh, as are Michigan fans of 199.com best retro throwback hoops apparel shop. There is um, we've got a little partnership with them. That's coming up from now through the end of the tournament where we'll be giving away some free gear. So stay tuned. We'll keep everybody posted on how that works, but exciting things in the works and appreciate you DK for being here. I appreciate you guys. Thanks as always for having me on. Appreciate you DK. We're going to make it. We're going to be okay. Right. We'll be all right. All right. We'll be all right.